Good morning. Good to be with you. Thank you for the welcome. Um, we today are on our penultimate week of a series that we're going through at the moment called Hope and Glory. We've been looking at the book of Colossians, which is a book written uh, from a prison cell by the Apostle Paul, who was writing to uh, the church in a place called Colossae. And uh, what we're going to do is we're going to jump in into chapter four in just a moment. But what you may have noticed if you've been here with us each week to date is that there was a point around about three or four weeks ago when uh, we witnessed a transition in the book. You see, up to that point, the first couple of chapters, the first number of weeks that we explored this book was all about the glory of God, the supremacy of Christ, the beauty, the majesty, the incredible nature of our great Lord and Saviour. And uh, more recently, though, what's happened is there's been, there's been transition that's happened, which has said, speaking immediately now to the Christians and those who have believed this message, here's now how to behave. Here's now how to look at things. And so it might well be that if you look at this uh, by way of the um, things that we're going to draw out today, you might think, okay, if I want to be a Christian, if I want to be a good, holy person, here's what I must do. But we need to put that to one side for a minute, realizing that actually we recognize that our righteousness before God, our right standing with him, comes through the fact that we are his and we've put our trust and our faith in him. And so over the last few weeks, we've been talking about what it, about what it means to fix our hearts and our minds upon Jesus. We've been talking about what it means uh, to have relationships which are healthily built from this place. Simon did a brilliant message, didn't he, last week in around marriage and relationships. And uh, I don't know whether you noticed the, the now infamous message that PJ brought a couple of weeks ago where he mentioned about him drilling into his own foot with a power drill, right? Now, if you're not freaking out at that point, well, I w- missed out a word because uh, he actually intentionally drilled into his foot with a power drill. And uh, if, you're, if you're a little bit intrigued by that, my encouragement would be for you to go back and listen to the messages because they are quite outstanding and they will help you, serve you, mature you, and indeed help us all to grow. So go ahead and do that when you get the opportunity online. Now, here is my conviction, okay? I genuinely believe that those people who have been touched by God, who have been captivated by him, whose lives have been transformed by him, now have a inbuilt and God-given desire for other people to experience that same love. I believe it's true. The challenge though, perhaps, is even though we want to give away what we've experienced, the challenge for us is that sometimes the idea of being missional, of sharing our faith, can be a very scary thing. It can feel like it's terrifying. It can feel like, you know, maybe I'm not good at it. It can feel like maybe that's not my place. What I believe Paul's going to do to us today is give us some very practical teaching on how we go about sharing our faith and loving people really well in the place that we are in. And you know, as a church, I genuinely believe, not just because of the fact that I've got a passion for this stuff, but we need to hear this and we need to respond to it. And so why don't we pray for a moment, ask that God would come and speak to us, just to say, If you're not a Christian here today, if you're not a Christian, I want you to to hear me say this, that God loves you. He is pursuing you. And it's his desire that you would come to know him. And so my heart is that you would know that today as I share and as we pray just now. Father God, we welcome you in this place. We thank you that you're here and you're ministering to us. And God, I want to pray that every single one of us would respond Lord, with inspiration, with motivation, with the right level of equipping, Lord, that today that we would be a missional people pursuing you and loving on those people you've put around us. God, it's all for your glory and all for your name. Amen. Amen. 
All right, guys, we're going to read from Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 to 6. This is sounding very boomy for me. Is this, uh, is this okay for people? We're okay? All right. Verse 2 starts like this. Devote yourselves to prayer with an alert mind and with a thankful heart. Pray for us too that God will give us many opportunities to speak about his mysterious plan concerning Christ. That is why I am here in chains. Pray that I will proclaim this message as clearly as I should. Live wisely among those who are not believers and make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversion, a conversation, excuse me, be gracious and attractive so that you will have the right response for everyone. Okay, Paul is giving us a four-step plan to become missional and become very effective in our lives now for Christ. Step one is this, according to Paul, devote yourselves to prayer. Turn to the person next to you and say, devote yourself to prayer. All right. Paul in the Bible, you know, both through this book and many others that he had a hand in, and indeed if you look at, look at, look at Jesus' teaching or indeed teaching from the whole Bible, you will see that they don't become tired of equipping and telling and provoking Christians to be diligent in their prayer lives. It's simply a key element for us all to live in. And you might have heard us share a few weeks ago, a few months ago, maybe even now, that we found some research which was researching around about several hundred, four or five hundred people and what the significant steps were in them coming to faith. And it spoke about things like how crisis had a role in their conversion. You know, people would say, actually, it was the Bible. That was the significant provocation in me becoming to faith. Some people spoke about an invitation and literature and so on. But you know, by far and away, the most significant thing that people said was influential in their journey to come to know Jesus. Jesus was that somebody else they knew had been praying for them. 87% of people knew, that's almost 9 in 10 people, that somebody else was praying for them. It's quite astonishing. Do you know, just this week I was just kind of giving thanks for a, a lady in our church. Her name's Wendy. And um, Wendy had been praying for 20 years for a friend of hers, who was actually her sister-in-law, to come to know Jesus, praying for her consistently for 20 years. And it was just a couple of years ago when she similarly stumbled into a carol service. And on the back of that carol service, first time in church, she came along to one of our Alpha courses. On the back of the Alpha course, she went along to Beta. She gave her, had given her life to Jesus. She got baptized here in this church. And she's now living a life passionately following him. And she's on our TSM course. Do you know, this is good news, by the way. But, you know, for, for Jane, this lady, okay, I am genuinely celebrating her baptism, her conversion, the fact that she's living a life that's loving God in all of its fullness. But, you know, I'm also celebrating that first time that Wendy said, I'm going to take up the mantle and I'm going to pray consistently for this lady that I love. And actually, those are the things that actually also were sowing seeds every single occasion into a great thing that God was doing amongst us. It's incredible to celebrate. You see, before any evangelism, before any mission comes prayer. Devote yourselves to prayer, says Paul, with an alert mind and a thankful heart. A question for us perhaps to ponder would be this one. Are we, King's Arms Church, are we a people marked by prayer? Are we a people marked by prayer? Because, you know, I genuinely, I love this church. It's my favorite place to be. And I love so many things about it. I love the people here. And I love our heart for 
passion for worship and the way that we just kind of press into God in the same way as we were doing this morning. I love the fact that we serve the poor so very well. I love the authenticity of this place that goes right into the ground roots of who we are. I love the fact that we're uh, just indignant at pursuing the miraculous and that God will break in. If I'm honest with you though, to say that we're a people marked by prayer, I'm not entirely sure that's one of our strengths. I'm not entirely sure that's something that God's really got his hand around for us. But you know, I've actually got high hopes for this because I believe it's something that God's speaking to us about, about ministering to him, connecting with him, praying to him, engaging with him in every which way. You know, I'm longing for the day actually where our first prayer meeting that happens on the last Sunday of um, every month, when our first prayer meeting is packed full of people who cannot wait but to be there because of the fact that they realize that it's prayer which is the foundation for everything else that we do. And you know, just to reiterate, it's not about that prayer or attending certain meetings will increase your brownie points before God, okay? It's not that suddenly it's like, oh yes, there's the super holy one, but actually it's a key thing for us to realize and recognize right now. I guess I just realized that there is more for us than we're getting right now. There is, he's, he's speaking deeply, there's more for us to experience, more for us to marvel at, more for us to be overwhelmed by. And honestly, I believe that if we take hold of what he's saying to us right now, then we're gonna see an incredible, incredible fruits come in of people getting saved and added to this church. I wanna see Bedford changed. I wanna see this place with tens of thousands of people worshiping Jesus because he's the only one who's worthy of our time and our attention. And you know, 2 Chronicles 7.14 actually says that same thing. It says this, if my people who are called by my name, this is you, King's Arms, will humble themselves and pray, seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and restore their land. My eyes will be open and my ears attentive to every prayer. Just to get practical for a moment, because Paul is very practical through these verses. He gives us some clues as to how this should work. Because if you're anything like me, when you hear someone in a preach mention something out about prayer, honestly, my first reaction is to feel a little bit guilty Right? A little bit shame-filled, a little bit like, man, I'm I used to those regular prayers at the end of the evening being like, oh, I didn't really pray enough today. Tomorrow will be better, right? We can be like that. We can almost uh, crawl backwards into our quiet times a little bit, yeah? It's like, oh, I'm really sorry I haven't been here for a while. Can we chat, you know? But listen, let me encourage you, because Proverbs 15 says this, the prayer of the upright is his delight. It's his delight. He loves it when you pray. He loves it, he's excited, he wants to be with you. And you know what else? The Bible says that all barriers, everything that would get in the way has been removed because of the final work of the cross, which means that it has been literally torn in place, you have free access and your Father in heaven delights when you go speak to him, when you pray, when you seek after him. If you're not entirely sure where to start, or indeed if you want to just go deeper in your prayer life, I just want to point out that book's booklet to you. It's our discipleship language. It's available from the bookstore in the back. And this will help you. This will help you to grow and to develop your prayer life. Let me give you two things that can be hindrances though. See, Paul says, devote yourselves to prayer with an alert mind. As, you know, too often my prayer life you know, can linger at the end of the evening and I'm laying in bed and I'm like, Father, I want to thank you that you're wonderful. <laughs> You know, and like this, this end, end of the day, I'm exhausted. And so, you know, I literally get a few lines out and then psh, I'm off. 
Deep intercession, I know. Or there's the occasions when I'm, I'm maybe on my sofa, right? And I start to pray, God, I really want to thank you for... Bzz, oh, uh, right, email, you know? And then, and then suddenly there's the distractions which get in the way. There's the things that will kind of pull you out of your time with God. So perhaps for some of us right now, a key question to ask is, what is the time and what is the place that I'm going to make a decision to pursue God in? And for sure, it can be hard in certain seasons. I mean, as you guys, many of you will be aware, we've got two children who are kind of two and under. Lexi's just nine weeks old, and it can be complicated. And so we've got to fight for and be intentional about what are the times when you're going to pursue God. And, you know, there are little things that I'm having to become acquainted with. So, so the flight mode button on my phone, okay? It's a necessary thing because it stops those alerts. It stops those beepings. It stops those things that are going to vibrate and distract my attention. Sometimes it's worth having a, a notepad so that you might just, you know, any, any lingering thoughts so that you can say, Holy Spirit, keep me uh, focused on, keep my mind attentive to what you're saying. I'm just going to scribble that down. I'm going to deal with that later. God, this is time that I'm spending with you. And he also says, do it with a thankful heart. Thanksgiving is a key to prayer. Prayer isn't just about coming with a kind of list, a shopping list, as it were, to kind of pull on the, the, the kind of mighty fruit machine of God to do things in your life, but actually we want to come as a thankful people, thankful for the, for the fruit that we're seeing in our lives, for sure, Thank, thankful for the fruit that we're seeing around the nation and other people's lives, thankful for, even for our own salvation. You know, it's how we, uh, how we start the times of our staff prayer meeting every single week, and I love it, because I get to hear stories of what's happening around the church. I hear Mateus here talking about F&M and the amazing things that are going on with some of the Bedford's poorest people as they come and they eat and then he gets to minister with them and pray for them and connect with them and I love it. I've been hearing recently of um, kind of Mike Green sharing about what's going on in Bedford Prison and how consistently on the Alpha courses they're running, they're getting 10, 12 people who are kind of listening now and exploring and questioning the realities of life and the claims of faith and, and looking at Jesus. And you know, so many of them are now being touched by Christ and who are giving their lives to him. It's amazing. So good to be celebrating. We hear regularly of teams that are traveling regionally, internationally, stories of breakthrough and healing. And you know, Probably the most consistent thing is that we're thankful for you guys. We as a staff are thankful for your love and for your service and for your generosity and for your faith because there are individuals right across this place who are so inspiring and who are doing the stuff and who are you know, taking the kingdom of God into places where they are part and we're grateful for you. You need to know that. So it's good to be thankful. And you know, this verse also makes specific reference to praying in the gospel. It says, pray for people who are sharing the gospel, pray for courage, for boldness, for clarity, and indeed for the people who are hearing it. And so this missional prayer takes on two different forms. It speaks to ourselves, and it speaks to those who are going to hear. Before you, I've heard it said that later, before you talk to a person about God, talk to God about that person. It's a good way of straightening yourself, actually. What's my heart and my motive behind this? That's one of the reasons, actually, why we decided as a church that this year we wanted to call 200 of you to say every week, would you pray for three friends in one nation? Would you pray for them consistently, regularly? Would you pray powerful prayers, dreaming prayers? And actually, there are so far 79 people who have joined us on that adventure. And you know, that means that there's 237 people in and around this community who are regularly every single week. And so my phone buzzes every Friday with my little alarm that says, hey, pray for your guys. So I pray for them. And actually, that's going to transform lives as we do. This is one of my favorite quotes. Listen to this. Men may spurn our appeals, reject our message, 
oppose our arguments, despise our persons, but they are helpless against our prayers. I love that, it's so inspiring, and it's certainly something that I hold on to with key people in my life. Step two that he says, allow God to use you where you are. You see, Paul at this point, he's writing this letter from a prison cell. It says he's wrapped up in chains. And so imagine the scene for a moment, okay? Paul is there, likely with a very overcrowded uh, cell. The likelihood is he is chained up. Um, He can't get around. He has no freedom. Maybe there's rats and vermin around. Miserable food, damp, poor sanitary, cramped condition. The place probably smells appallingly. You would expect, I think, his prayer to be, guys, just pray that I would get out of this place, huh? Pray that I could leave this so I could do the things that God's called me to. I need a platform, right? I need to have some kind of stadium venture where I can speak to tens of thousands of people. What's interesting is he doesn't do that. Instead, he simply says, I want opportunities where God's put me to speak about Christ. He wants to be effective where he is. I don't know about you, but there are times when I I, I play the little if-only game. Do you ever do that? You know, there are times when, you know, I know that people will think things like, you know, if, if only I was married, that would make life easier in this way. Then I would be more missional, more intentional. But then there are other people who maybe think, oh, if only I wasn't married, then I would, how can I have the freedom to be able to do the missional things that God's called me to? If only I had the right job, if only I had the right job, that would give me more space to be able to witness well and to love people well. If only I was in a, a bigger place where there were more people in my office so that I could speak to them, or if only I was in a, a smaller office where it wasn't quite so crowded and then you were able to, right? If only we didn't have to go to work. You know, Paul, though, says, in spite of his circumstances, I would say to you, in spite of whatever circumstances you're in, you can be used by God. The instruction, actually, though, is to live wisely among those who are not believers. Live wisely among those who are not believers. I think that Paul is saying that actually we shouldn't build this protective fortress around us. Okay? I'm going to stay in my life still kind of Christian bubble and lock myself away a little bit. And you know, Jesus even had this pointed at him. There are occasions when the very religious people of the time actually said, Oh, look at him. He's a friend of sinners. And he's like, That's right. That's right. I want to be amongst people. I want to be amongst the the sick, and I want to be amongst those people who need this truth and this hope the most. We're called to live in the world. I love uh, love this place, and when I became a Christian, very quickly, my closest friends became in this church. That's the right way, actually. The, the, The sense of community, the sense of passion, the sense of them knowing everything about me, and provoking me, and loving on me, and me reciprocating in that way. But what I realized very quickly was that my life became a little bit insular. And so that almost everybody I was spending time with was within this community. I realized that that doesn't model, much as Christian community is brilliant, that doesn't model what Jesus asked of us. Listen to how uh, the great philosopher Winnie the Pooh puts it. (laughs) You can't stay in your corner of the forest waiting for people to come to you. You have to go to them sometimes. So for me, I, I realized that I wanted to be around people. How was I going get, to get around people who were you know, outside the church? And so I started a football team. 
Football team was called Kings AFC, and uh, I, I loved it. And there were a number of my friends who, who from the church came, and but I just gathered a whole stack of men. We had a brilliant time. But you know, for me, that was the, an outlet for rubbing shoulders, being alongside people who weren't part of the church. And uh, you know, regularly, almost every week, I would go there and I would walk up and down the pitch praying for these guys, and I would listen to them and love on them and just. Be a friend to so many of them. There were so many occasions, you know, when we had brilliant things happen. I remember on one uh, occasion when, when training was happening, we were out uh, on one of the AstroTurf pitches in Bedford, and uh, one of the guys, a guy called Ollie, very short, stacked, covered in tattoos, and um, Ollie kind of came uh, to, the, uh, to the training pitch, and he was cussing, he was swearing, he was being abusive, he was like furious. I was like, dude, dude, is it, what, what's going on? Well, now he was very cross because of the fact that he'd lost his car keys, and so where he wanted to drive, he's very souped up, very low down, very cool looking car. He had to come in his mum's car. Not a good thing. Old banger, very sharp. And so he was furious about the fact, like, what am I going to do without these car keys? So I just said to him, hey buddy, is, is it okay maybe at the end of the, the, the session just now, maybe I could pray for you. Would that be alright? And so, um, so he's like, yeah, 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 whatever. So at the end of the, the training session, I kind of went and said, oh, well, let, me, let me just pray that God will show you where the keys are. So I pray a very quick, simple prayer and say, Jesus, would you show Ollie where his keys are? Show him just how much you love him. What was interesting about that conversation is there were other people listening in. And uh, so another lad called Marcus sort of piped up and said, hey, 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 you know, I was thinking about you the, you the other day, Steve, because I was in a, I was in a hotel and uh, I, I turned over and I pulled the drawer out. There was a Bible in the hotel room and I decided that I was going to start reading it through this book called Genesis right at the front. He says, one day I'm going to read the whole thing and I'm going to come and talk to you about it. You know what's interesting about that is that everybody, everybody could have those conversations. Many people lose their keys, but it takes that moment of courage to be able to say, look, I've got a little bit of potential rejection here, but I'm going to do it anyway. Now, what's beautiful is that I got a message a short while later that evening, which said as soon as Ollie got back home, he looked behind his seat, the keys had fallen out, and everything was fine. Praise God. You know, we've got to create these situations to be around people. There was a guy called Rowan who I used to play football with, and one occasion, he, he, we were kind of stretching out just before the game, he kind of comes up to me and he says, hey, Steve, you're, you're a Christian, right? I said, yeah, I'm a Christian. And he said, look, I've got a, got a problem with my chest, I can't breathe properly, I've got some kind of infection, would you pray for me? Because, you know, so, so I'm like, yeah, all right, fine, you know, side of the football field, everyone's running around, put my hand on their shoulder and say, in the name of Jesus, be healed. And I just pray my best prayer for his throat. And then he, when, I, when I stop, he's like, yep, it's all better, and he runs off. <laughs> I'm like, what just happened? That was great, you know? And, and the, the, he's the one who's coming to me to be able to do so, just for being around people. And you know, through that team, I had a whole stack of people come to men's breakfast, come to Alpha Suppers. We had um, people, even now, there are two guys who are loving and enjoying a life in relationship with God because of that team, and I'm so grateful for it. Matthew 4 is, calls us fishers of men. Now, I'm no fisherman, but my guess is that it would be frustrating for a fisherman to go to a pool, throw their fish in, spend an awful lot of time there when there's no fish in there, right? That would make a pretty boring afternoon, I'm guessing. And the same thing for us, you know. If we're going to be fishers of men, we want to be around a pool where there are fish in it. You understand? If you're thinking that actually I'm, I'm not around people, my only friends are within the church community, my encouragement to you would be to get into a missional community. Or better than that, start a missional community. Okay? Because that actually is where the life change is. It gives people the chance to see a sermon even before they have chance to hear one. We're going to do fly through these final two points, okay? When it comes to missional living, 
There can often be two extremes. One extreme is that it's actually, it's not for me, it's for a certain special group, it's not my gifting. I want to hide away, I get nervous, it's definitely not something that I should be involved in. The other extreme, you've got the kind of Christian Rottweiler who take every opportunity to kind of ram the Bible down someone's throat and, you know, right, well, you know you, you, you've kind of half mentioned driving down the same road as King's House belongs in. Let's, let's go into the finer points of Leviticus, right? Now, I don't think either extreme are particularly helpful, but God's not calling us to be either silent witnesses or muggers for Jesus. But instead, it says that we should make the opportunity being wise witnesses and living godly lives among those who aren't yet believers. And you know, every day we get these op- opportunities. And uh, sometimes though, this, this phrase opportunities, um, it actually comes from the root word of buying up, okay? It's almost like you need to purchase the opportunities when they are there and before you. And uh, sometimes there are things that we've got to think about before we even get to be able to buy these opportunities. Because the reality is that sometimes it involves courage and risk and cost. Just as I was walking into work today, I was looking through the passage in uh, Luke chapter 6, I think it is, where there's these guys who come to a very crowded building with a paralyzed man. They're carrying him. And uh, there's lots of religious people around. They can't get into the building. So what they decide to do is go onto the top of the roof. They break the roof and lower him down, and he has this phenomenal encounter with Jesus. Do you know what's interesting about that as I was thinking about this is that there are a number of different costs that those men paid. First of all, there was the cost that they actually realized that even in the around the religious people of the time, they were going to risk upsetting the meeting. They were going to risk what people were going to judge them, risk what people were going to say. Then there was the physical time and effort to actually say, I'm going to take somebody there. I'm going to go and get my friend. I'm going to carry my friend to Jesus because they need to meet him. And then there was the cost of the roof. Do you ever realize that? Someone had to pay for the roof. Someone paid for the chairs that you're sat in. Someone pays for the heating and the lighting. Actually, people are paying here. There's a cost in us being missional. Jake Cooper provoked me recently when he was preaching at King's Arms later, where he said he'd been having this conversation with a friend of his, and the friend of his from work had said to him, hey, look, Jake, why have you never invited me for a drink? Jake was like, man, I haven't ever invited for a drink, and I, I lead a missional community in a pub. Why have I never done that? And before he could even respond and ask, he said, and yeah, don't you go to church? Why have you never invited me to church? (laughs) So I'm listening to the story, feeling so provoked. Do all of the friends that I have know that they are invited and welcome, and I would love to see them here? I don't know. Do you know what I had to do? I had to go and have some conversations, and I actually sat down with a number of my friends. I said, guys, I just want to say, I'm actually really sorry, because I realized that even though you know I'm going to church, I don't think I've ever really said, you're so welcome. And so I just wanted to say, hey, why don't you come along with me? I would love to, to have you do this with me. Recently, I've, been, uh, I've taken a couple of taxi rides. And uh, just simply because of the fact that we're out of time and uh, kind of my wife needs me at home, little baby, and we're trying to make use of every moment we've got. And on that taxi ride, I've just been saying, okay, God, would you use me to have good conversations with these guys? And so I've been using uh, the miracle question, which you might have heard on a couple of occasions that we've said. And so it simply goes, hey, can I ask you a question? And then kind of follow-up being, if they say yes, of course, hey, if God could do a miracle in your life, what would you have him do? 
To which the, both these guys, these cab drivers, have said very distinct, very different things. But on both occasions, I've given, had the opportunity of praying for them, of caring for them, of blessing for them, of prophesying in their name. And we've got into brilliant conversations about the church, about life, and about the divinity of Jesus, and about what happens in eternity, and all sorts of things. Simply because of the fact that you've got to pay sometimes a little cost to say, look, I'm going to step out in these kind of situations. I heard of one lady in Southampton, okay? And uh, she wants to take off every opportunity. And so she has a Bible on her sideboard next to the door. Okay? The Bible on top of it has a note. The note says this. Now, she has never been burgled before, but it says this. Dear burglar, please feel free to help yourself to whatever you need from my home. But please also take this Bible. Know that Jesus Christ loves you, died on a cross for your sins, and read these verses. She's never been burgled but she wants to make the most of every opportunity. <laughs> the final thing is this. We're encouraged to speak a clear and a gracious and attractive message. I haven't got time to go through the point in any extensive way, but what I will say is this. We're encouraged, we know that we need to, when we speak to people, it's actually not just about living a righteous life. I'm sorry to say that, you know, even if you if you go to a pub and you're the person that says, I'm, I'm going I'm to have a Coke here, because if I have a Coke, they'll probably ask me about, why, why are you not having a Coke? And, ah, oh, that must mean that you know, you've got something really special in your life. And, ah, oh, therefore, tell me about my eternal security with Jesus. That conversation doesn't often happen, okay? Sometimes we need to open our mouths. You know, that quote from Francis Assisi is brilliant, where it says, go into all the world and preach the gospel and use words if you have to. I love it because of the fact that it shows you your lifestyle should model what you believe, but actually the Bible's very clear that we do need to use words and be in conversations. Let me just take one thing finally. It says this, some people are very nervous about what do I say if someone asks me a question that I don't know the answer to? How am I gonna respond to them? Best advice I can give you is say this, I don't know. At that point, they'll say, well, what do you do about it? Why, why have you, you know, why is that even possible? And you can at which point say, I don't think it's that big a deal, but I'm going to find out for you. Go away and find out. Final thing you need to say to them, come along to church with me on Sunday, and I'll tell you about the Alpha course, okay? <laughs> Apologetics does have his place, but here's the big point, okay? We need to lose confidence in ourselves, and we need to gain confidence in him, because it's him who saves. Lose confidence in ourselves, and gain confidence in him. This Christmas season, I want to encourage us to be very much invitational and very much pursuing of people in our lives, okay? See, we can't make people fall in love with Jesus, but we can set up the first date. We can give them the opportunity.